Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Bina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tomorrow is April 15th. Believe it or not, there are so many unfathomable tragedies associated with this day in history. Aside from, obviously, paying taxes in America. There is, of course, the unfortunate assassination of President Lincoln, America's 16th president, as He's actually the very first president to be assassinated. But in addition to this, in the wee hours of April 15th, 1912, 110 years ago, the mighty, unsinkable steamship, the Titanic, will crumble into the icy waters of the North Atlantic. So let us talk about this tragic event and the paranormal hauntings surrounding that horrible night. On April 10th, 2,229 passengers and staff alike boarded the RMS Titanic. RMS stands for the Royal Mail Steamship. It was a luxurious liner operated by the White Star Lines, though it had the capacity to host 3,500 guests. It set sails from Southampton, England, under the command of Captain Edward Smith, with its final destination to be New York City. Luxuries for its first-class passengers included a swimming pool, Turkish baths, a squash court, and a dog kennel. There's actually some conflicting information as to how many dogs were actually on the Titanic when this unfortunate event happened. I've read accounts as many as nine, but I've also read as many as 12. In addition to all these other wonderful things to do, there was the Ritz restaurant on board, which was apparently inspired by the Ritz restaurant in London Piccadilly Circus, the famous Ritz, 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 say that a couple of times, Ritz restaurants. And of course, the decadent and opulent decor, the the grand staircase that featured oak paneling and bronze cherubs, and it was considered to be the largest ship sailing the seas at its time. In addition to the luxurious things available for the first-class passengers, it had what they considered a fancy radio transmitter equipment, and it was actually one of the first ships to ever start using the new SOS distress signal. SOS meaning save our ship. Now prior to this, if the ship was in danger and needed assistance, the calling distress signal would be COD, come quick, danger. 
However, despite its fanfare of new technology, when it came to safety measures, the Titanic, believing that it was unsinkable, only had 20 lifeboats, which in theory should have been enough for 1,178 people. But if you're keeping track, that is barely half of how many people were currently sailing on this doomed ship. Now, of course, everybody was enjoying the life on the Titanic. Nobody had to work. Everything was paid for in their admission onto the Titanic. And the people on board were from all ranges of life. We're talking from the poorest looking to start a new life and beginning in America to the wealthiest. We're talking, for instance, the one of the co-owners of the Macy's department, Isidore Strauss and his wife, Ida. And we're talking as far wealthy as John Jacob Astor IV, who was worth over $90 million then. By today's currency, he would have been worth over $2 billion. And believe it or not, the most expensive rooms on the ships back then would have cost the passenger today more than $100,000. So it really did cater to the the wealthy. I mean, I, I certainly don't have $100,000 to take a cruise ship across the Atlantic. I mean, I just couldn't even fathom that. Now, on April 14th, the night it actually strikes the iceberg, some of the final meals of its passengers consisted of several courses, including egg argentili, consomme vermeer, which I don't even know what that is, and chicken a la Maryland, which sounds interesting, oysters, caviar, lobsters, quail, salmon, roasting duck, and lamb. In addition to this just delicious food, the Titanic also had over 20,000 bottles of beers, 1,500 bottles of wine, 8,000 cigars, and of course all of this is for the first class passengers. And as the Titanic was about 370 miles off of the coast of Newfoundland, Canada, at the insistence of J. Bruce Ismay, one of the ship's builders, despite the fact that he was aware that they were going through iceberg-laden waters, he insisted that the Titanic make its way through this area at high speed. On Iceberg Watch, on this fateful night, is a gentleman by the name of Frederick Fleek and another gentleman by the name of Reginald Lee. The problem for this scenario, aside from going too fast... In addition to it being cold and, you know, the, the light from the moon was quite bright and made it kind of visibly hard for these gentlemen to see, they didn't have binoculars. And here's why. Apparently, David Blair, who was supposed to be originally appointed as the second officer of the Titanic, reportedly had the key to the crow's nest locker, which supposedly housed the binoculars. However, Belair was then reassigned to a different ship, thus saving his life. But unfortunately, he ends up taking the keys to the crow's nest locker with him, thus leaving Fleek and Lee 
on that fateful night without any capability of ascertaining the binoculars because they were locked away. Now, the moment fleet spots the iceberg, a mere 37 seconds transpires before the Titanic gets struck. Again, only 37 seconds. And once this happens, once fleet rings the bell, Officer Murdoch begins turning to the left, but because the Titanic was going too fast, and I'm going to say this, it doesn't sound like it's fast, but it apparently is for boats in iceberg-laden waters, the Titanic at the time was going 23 miles an hour. At 11.40, the iceberg scrapes along the right side, or what is known as the starboard side of the hull, and below the waterline, which again contributes to the overall sinking of this massive ship. Hence, slicing open the hull between five of the adjacent watertight compartments. It was like everything lined up for this tragedy to happen. No binoculars going too fast, and the iceberg strikes it below the waterline. I mean, it's almost as if it's the perfect storm for the perfect tragedy. Now, reportedly, only a few felt the impact of the iceberg, some saying it was more like a mere vibration of the ship. And when they started calling people to the upper decks to get them off of the ship, to evacuate them, some felt that this was a drill. It was kind of like, we need to get off the ship. But it wasn't as if they were like, there's an iceberg, we're going down. <laughs> Which I think, obviously, you don't want to cause chaos and would have been a, a great approach. So when they start lowering the lifeboats, obviously they do women and children first, especially of the first class, were given preferences to the lifeboats. And when they realized the severity of the situation, some of the wives refused to leave their husband. And such was the case as Miss Ida did not want to be parted from her husband and refused to board a lifeboat. And as we all know, they are one of the couples that actually perished together on the Titanic. Now, it has also been said that J. Bruce Ismay, the gentleman who insisted that the Titanic pickup speed actually donned women's clothing and boarded a lifeboat. However, I did actually read in contrast to this that he did his best to get as many people onto the lifeboats before taking a seat for himself. Whether or not he dressed up as a woman and, and, and got on a lifeboat dressed as a woman or whether or not he ran around helping. I know his family has done their best to clarify that he was a helper and getting people on the lifeboats for many, many decades. Whatever the version of what happened, the bottom line is that we know he gets on one of the lifeboats and we know that he survives the sinking, but according to his family, he's basically a shattered person for the rest of his life. Now, unlike Ismay, there were many who remained on the deck and Captain Smith was one of them, but... Down below, there were 25 engineers, six electric engineers, two broil makers, a plumber, and a clerk who stayed down in the boiler rooms and tried to keep them running so that the electricity in the pumps would continue to pump out the water to keep the Titanic floating as long as humanly possible. Unfortunately, they did not make it. And as in the movie... 
and I'm sure many people had heard this, the band actually did play continuously as the lifeboats were being boarded on top of the deck. The leader of the eight musicians was a gentleman by the name of Wallace Hartley. You know, they did this, obviously, in an attempt to keep the passengers as calm as possible as the ship was sinking. In the final moments of the ship, he led the band in the last song, playing the hymn, Near My God to Thee. Hartley goes down with the ship, as the rest of the musicians do. His body will be recovered two weeks later, and it is said his violin was actually strapped to him. The violin was actually an engagement gift for Hartley from his fiance Maria. On the violin were the words engraved for Wallace on the occasion of our engagement from Maria. Now, the, the violin does get recovered along with Hartley. And when it does, it gets returned to Maria, his you know, obviously sad and melancholy fiancé. And Maria never marries. But getting back to that night, as the band played, as the as the lifeboats were getting filled, uh, mostly, around 12.45, officers of the Titanic noticed the lights of another ship in the distance. This ship was the SS Californian. But despite them sending out signals, both the SOS and quick come danger, the Californian actually never responds. And even though the captain of the Titanic orders the shooting of white flares, the SS California sees the fireworks and they wake up the captain. But for some reason, the captain's like, okay, thanks. And... The only radio operator who could have received the distress calls from the Titanic was asleep when the Titanic, I mean, because it is in the middle of the night, but still, he was asleep at the time, and they basically chalk it up as the ship, Titanic, simply stopped because of all of the icebergs in the water. So they're making assumptions. They're not even checking their radio distress, and I don't know what the hell the captain's doing on the SS. California, because here's the deal. The Titanic is still afloat at this point in time. They could have easily have helped get everybody else off of the Titanic. Instead, they ignore the distress signals, and they continue their merry way, and they do nothing to help. Now, in addition to all of this other drama, the Californian ignoring them, some of the lifeboats itself had holes in them and needed to have the holes plugged up. And as they were loading people up, they weren't necessarily packing them as full as as possible. So here they got holes in them, and here they're not packing them as full as capacity-wise. And as I said before, it was women and children first. However, of the nine or 12 dogs that were traveling on the Titanic, three of them survived mainly because of their very, very small size. Now, between water coming in, the frigid temperatures, around 240, that's when bad shit really starts to happen. The Titanic breaks in half, 
and begins its final descent into the water. And after two hours and 40 minutes from striking the iceberg, the Titanic goes down. And unfortunately, when it does, approximately 1,500 people are still on board. Now, it is the RMS Carpathian that comes to the Titanic's aid. And they don't get there until 4 o'clock. So we're talking after the Titanic has already sunk, a good hour and 40 minutes. Then the Carpathian hears the distress signal, comes to assist. And at that time, they're only able to save about 700 of the survivors. The rest basically go down with the Titanic, which sinks down to nearly 13,000 feet of water. And it's still there to this day. On April 17th, the cleanup begins. This is the cadaver recovering process now. And even by the 20th, when the German steamer Bremen sails into the area, the passengers can still see not only the wreckage, but as well as the unfortunate ones that didn't survive. They can see the bodies of the hundreds of victims that are still floating in the surface of the water. Now, after retrieving the bodies, what they decide to do is, because, as I said before, they're literally off the coast of Canada, they take all the bodies that they can find, because not all of the bodies were floating, They recovered the bodies and they decided to bury them in a number of cemeteries in Halifax, Nova Scotia. However, the majority of the bodies are buried in Fairview Lawn Cemetery. And unfortunately, this is kind of one of those weird things that just happened to happen. Some of the people actually did not use their real names when they signed up to be a traveler. On the U.S. Titanic, I don't, I don't know why, but so some of the people are are not identified. Some of them have the wrong names because that was the name that they provided, and these people are unfortunately buried under simple markers. And it is believed that the areas of these unfortunate souls, these bodies, now have a sense of paranormal activity happening around their grave sites and and one of the one of the things that people tend to describe is a sense of heaviness and a very unquieted spirit-like sense in the in the cemetery in addition to this overall sense of sadness of the graves in in Halifax because the Titanic is still in the water with some of the bodies it is believed that the area where the Titanic sank is also haunted. So we're talking orbs have been seen in the area where the Titanic sank. Submarines who have sailed near the area have reported hearing strange signals along with interference of their radios, which include the Save Our Ship messages that the Titanic would have sent but again, it's kind of like a disembodied SOS. There is no source of this SOS signal. But they're, they're picking it up. 
Now, aside from the sadness of the cemeteries and especially of the, you know, the tombs of the unknown passengers, and in addition to the very curious and just haunting area of the sinking of the Titanic and hearing the distress signals that will never, ever really save them, the people who were on the ship, their ghosts as well, are, are, are never at rest. And one of the main people I'm referring to is actually Captain Edward John Smith. So let's talk about his ghost, because this guy, he's actually kind of in a few places. There was a curious incident in 1977 when the second officer, an officer by the name of Leonard Bishop of the SS Winterhaven, was hanging out on his ship, and he actually ends up giving a passenger a tour of the ship. And, you know, he's talking to this guy, he's engaging to this guy, and this man, who had a British accent, just was, according to Second Officer Bishop, was unusually attentive to the detail. And this man pretty much stood out. Like I said, he had a British accent, and he, the man just struck Bishop as odd. But he just, it was like, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something just not adding up here. And later on, when he sees a picture of Captain Edward Smith, that's when it clicks that he recalls seeing this gentleman on his ship as it was sailing in the area where the Titanic had sunk approximately 65 years prior. So... This guy's ghost literally is in the area hopping on other boats. But in addition to that, there's the story of Neil and Louise Bonner. Now, they purchase a two-bedroom Victorian house that Captain Smith was born in. And he lived there until he was a teenager. And over the years of, of owning the home... They had a numerous sightings of ghostly apparitions and strange paranormal activity. According to Mr. Bonner, because during the course of their ownership, they were actually renting out this house. One of the tenants called him at night, convinced that they saw the ghost of some type of captain literally drifting across the bedroom floor. Another tenant had reported that they could feel cold spots, like freezing cold spots throughout the house, and they would hear banging, and they would hear, like, somebody moving about. And even though the hauntings, the, the ghostly apparitions, the noise, the banging, never actually caused them to lose any tenants, none of the tenants, you know, up and lit out in the middle of the night, over the years, they just came to accept the fact that the house was haunted, and again, it was believed to be the ghost of Captain Smith. So he's obviously not at rest. And for good reason. I mean, this is a huge maritime tragic event. And the man was in charge. Now, as I said before, these apparitions and these ghostly disembodied noises being heard are in the area of the sinking, but over time, they actually lose the actual location of the Titanic sinking. So it remains 
a secret. The final resting place of the Titanic remains a secret for the next 73 years until it gets discovered in 1985. And of course, by 75 years down the road, the seawater has taken its toll on the ship and some of the artifacts, but even still, just the incredible amount of things that actually get preserved is pretty amazing. So I'm just going to rattle off a few of the really interesting things that I thought actually managed to survive. We're talking a pair of gloves, a pair of white cotton gloves were part of the artifacts that was found in the wreckage. The bell from the crow's nest, again, the one that Fleet rang when he tried to warn everybody of the Titanic, that was recovered. A menu, a printed menu of the last meal served on the Titanic for the first-class passengers was not only found, it was, and survived 73 years in saltwater, it actually ended up getting sold for $83,000 in 2012. And that's not the only piece of paper, oddly enough, that gets found. We're talking sheet music for songs such as Put Your Arms Around Me, Honey. And it was said that this was one of the songs that the band played on the deck on the night of April 14, 15. In addition to that was a letter penned by first-class passenger Oscar Overson. He actually wrote, was writing a letter to his mother. They found it folded up in a notebook in Hoverson's pocket. There was a pocket watch of one of the ship's victims that was found. Then they found a floor-length beaver fur coat in the wreckage that was worn by first-class stewardess Maribel Bennett. She was actually wearing that, and why she took it off, I don't know, because apparently when she got into the lifeboat, she was only sporting her nightgown. So I'm not sure why she took it off and why it was found in the bottom. But also, too, remember I had mentioned the grand staircase with the oak paneling and the bronze cherub? Well, they actually recovered one of the bronze cherubs. One it, Its foot was missing, but either way, it actually gets found as well. And keys that were used by crewman Samuel Hemming during the sinking of the ship to unlock a door that would help get the lifeboat lanterns out were found as well. The jacket was just one thing. They found other articles of clothing. They found jewelry. And they even found a set of perfume bottle samples that were brought along board by the German chemist Alfie Salefield. And he was intending to open up his fragrance shop in America. And obviously that didn't happen because his samples went down. So after they find the Titanic in this location and after expedition after ex expedition, of course, all these artifacts that they're bringing up helps them establish a multitude of museums. And there's a variety of museums. There's even a traveling museum called Titanic, the Artifact Exhibition. But for more permanent expositions, we're talking the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Now, I know I didn't say this previously, but the Titanic was actually built in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And it provides ample information regarding the construction of the Titanic. We're talking the Titanic Museum in Branson, Missouri. We're talking the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic, which is in Halifax, 
Nova Scotia, Canada, and for the obvious reasons, because that's where they sent all the bodies. There's the Titanic Museum in Indian Orchard, Massachusetts. There's even the Maryside Maritime Museum in Liverpool, England. Again, it's it sailed from Southampton, England. And they have the Titanic the Experience in Orlando, Florida. The Titanic Museum, Pigeon Four, Tennessee. But the biggest and the museum with the most important artifacts is actually stationed permanently at the Luxor Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we're talking a 25,000 square foot exhibit that features luggage, whistles, floor tiles from the first class smoking room, window frames from the Veranda Cafe, unopened champagne bottles, in addition to the recreation of actual rooms in the grand staircase of the Titanic, as well as the promenade deck that they, and I actually kind of think this is kind of cool, on the promenade deck, they keep it at frigid temperatures to give you kind of more of a immersive experience being on the Titanic that faithful and frigid night because it was freezing. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on, especially at the Luxor Hotel Casino in Las Vegas, because many of the employees and visitors have had a significant amount of paranormal activities. So people, and again, this is staff and, and visitors alike. They have reported the feeling of being followed. They've heard footsteps, disembodied footsteps. They have seen full-body apparitions, and there's even there's one incident, and this was actually caught on video of the picture of Bruce Ismay, this guy. Again, when they opened up the exposition one particular morning, they noticed that his picture was on the floor leaning against the wall. So they went to look at the cameras to see what exactly may have happened. And they see the picture shake on its own accord completely by itself and basically get lowered down to the floor by unseen hands and that's where they find it the very next day. In addition to all this, people have reported seeing the apparition of a woman and, and they're, they're saying her hair is like in a bun and she's wearing a, a black dress, a time period dress with a white collar. There was even an incident where they arranged to have pictures taken of the grand staircase, the replica grand staircase and as the man was setting up his camera a woman dressed again in in 1912 timepiece era clothing came down the grand staircase and when he tried to engage and said hey would you like your picture taken the ghost gave no reply and in addition to that as he's like okay i'll just continue setting up he starts getting involved, and then he gets that creepy feeling of being of someone being behind him. He turns around, and there she is again. So she's just basically circling him. And at that time, you know, he's creeped out, but he's still like, hey, would you like a picture? And she does not answer him. And then the lady, the ghost apparition, basically fades away. And, I mean, she comes and goes. But in addition to her... People have reported hearing their names being called. They've reported hearing laughing. They've, re- they've reported hearing 
the phantom sounds of an opera being played. Obviously, it's the band. People have had tangible experience, such as they've had their hair pulled, they've had their clothes pulled, and and if that's not enough, if I haven't said this before, some people have even reported the sensation of being followed by an unseen entity while walking through the exhibit. And in addition to all this, it is believed that this exhibit also houses the ghost of Frederick Fleek, who was the man that warned them, gave the signal of the iceberg. And Fleek actually had kind of like a shitty ending to his life. He gets married, and after his wife dies, he gets evicted from his brother-in-law from the house that he shared with his wife. And instead of leaving, he actually decides to commit suicide. So he didn't have any peace for the rest of his life even though he did his best. And again, it's believed the ghost of Frederick Fleet also haunts this exhibit. Now, in hindsight, looking at all these tragedies, we could see the correlation to various different things, things that we didn't see that didn't make sense then that now make sense today. And this even includes this very curious incident of a book called Fertility, written by the American author Morgan Robinson. This book was actually written in 1898. So we're talking 14 years prior to the Titanic's maiden and solo voyage. And it features a ship called the Titan. And according to the book, the Titan was considered unseekable. And it was going approximately the same speed as the Titanic. And it's sailing in mid-April as the Titanic in iceberg laden waters and of course it gets struck by an iceberg and just like the titanic this story included the fact that the titan didn't have enough lifeboats for everybody on board and just like the titanic the titan sinks as well i actually kind of got a little chill just sharing that little tidbit with you how strange that 14 years prior it's almost like he literally wrote, if I was I was going to do it, this is how I would do it in the Titanic steamship world of tragedies. And I'd like to close tonight with the very curious story of Miss Violet Constant Jessup. Miss Jessup became a stewardess on the Royal Mail line of the White Star. Again, this is the company that built the Titanic. Now, Violet actually didn't want to work for White Star because she didn't like the idea of sailing the North Atlantic due to, any guesses, the weather condition, the iceberg situation. And she also heard that the passengers were kind of a bit of an asshole. So she was like, I don't really want to do it. But either way, this young lady had the luxury of being on the Olympic, which was another ship, (laughs) that collided with the HMS Hawk in 1911 and after that happened she got rerouted to Southampton to take the Titanic and of course she she was on the Titanic when it struck the iceberg on April 14th she was saved by the Carpathian and after the Titanic sank she went on to become a nurse and of course if here comes World War One 
And she begins working as a nurse for the British Red Cross during the course of World War One, And she's on the Britannic when it gets sunk in the Aegean in 1916. So, this poor, uh, just, I don't know what she did to the maritime gods, but this poor chicka chicka boom boom had been on not one, not two, in the infamous Titanic, but three sinking ships and survived them all. I mean, this just adds to the overall craziness of this perfect storm pertaining to the Titanic. All right, that's what I have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. If you're curious or interested and would like to join, take a look around, send me a request. But until next time, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are, or if you'd like to hear a little bit about a event, a historic event that has paranormal ties, Send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. But until next time, please remember only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Mm-hmm.